Hello friends and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. This week we are going to be taking a look at a party game that Natasha has recently played called Green Team Wins. Mm-hmm. And as a fan of the color green when it comes to player pieces, I'm actually excited <laughs> to hear about this. I haven't had a chance to play it. And then we are going to be reviewing the newer release that came out, Endless Winter. And then obviously in the discussion topic, we've been doing our top 100. We're going to keep doing that. We're getting up there now. We're doing 40 through 31. But before we get into actual reviews, I do want to talk about an experience gaming recently. And I, I do plan on doing a full review. And that is Sleeping Gods. So my wife and I had a chance to finally sit down and play this campaign-driven game. And we played our first campaign in basically two days. It was wow. pretty quick. We spent a lot of time playing it. And we instantly set it back up again to play another campaign. And we're probably two-thirds of the way through that campaign. I got to tell you, the way this thing is going, this game... Man, there's something special about this game. I kind of want you to play it just so you can experience it, but I also don't know if you really would ever want to because one of the things is there's no concrete end. It ends when you finish the campaign. It's not like you go through a bunch of games and story plots and stuff like that. No. Literally, if you want to stop playing, you just stop playing. So what's what's the campaign? Is it a storyline? Uh, you create, so it's very open world. So that's the thing. You can go and do whatever you want. You get a bunch of, so you're, you're getting a bunch of cards that lead you on quests and they give you keywords and going to specific. There's so much content to explore in just the base box. So is it, does each campaign have like a goal or something like collect something or complete well, something? Well, the ultimate goal of the game is to collect totems. So the way the story is, is you're from the 1920s, I believe, and you get... You're on a boat called the Manticore. And you basically get swooped up in a storm like the Wizard of Oz. You know, you get swooped up in a storm and you get transferred to a completely new place and you're on this island. Somebody talks to you and then you just have these quests and what you're ultimately trying to do is find these totems that will allow you to waken the gods and then have them send you back. That's your goal. But there's so many things in the game to explore. Like I said, it's just we've just been playing the base box and there's just so much content in that base box. There's so many things you can do. I wanted to just briefly talk about it on here because I'm really excited to do the review. It does kind of suck that there's no specific game. So if you're a board game stat tracker, there's really no way to do it. The fact that we basically did it in such a short period of time and then we basically reset everything and started again, man, there's a lot to unpack in this game. So I'm probably going to I think I want to try to do the review next week. I think at that point we'll have gone through already the next campaign, maybe even started another one. Honestly, there's just so much to explore in this game. It's awesome. Are you really liking it so far? So far, it's been really good. It's it's everyone kind of referred to this as Ryan Lockett's like opus, right? He just created all these things and this is his masterpiece game. There are some things that I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But overall, the overall arching story and the way, if you want a story-driven game, and if you want to open world, explore, find different things, just this sense of adventure, this is the game for you. Has Ashley been enjoying it too? You know what's funny is uh, the very first play we did, um, you're supposed to find totems. And I'm not going to tell you how many you're supposed to find. You know, because there's, there's like 13 different endings. There's It feels like 100 different totems you can find. And it, we found one in our very first play, which is abysmal. 
afterwards, I was like, okay, so what'd you think? And she's like, well, right now I'm giving it a five. And I go, okay, well, why? And part of it is when you go and explore these different areas, you're going to get quest cards that give you these keywords and a bunch of other quests. So they like compound on each other. And it gets to a point where it can be really overwhelming. Um, You do get a sheet to kind of keep track of where you've been if you need to go back and that sort of thing. It's gotten to the point where I'm keeping track of that. My wife is getting the quest cards and she's putting sticky notes on them to, to give us an idea of where we're supposed to go so we can just quick look and kind of guide ourselves. There's a bunch of mechanics in the game and there's a lot of little things you need to manage. Like you need to manage, you know, the stress level on your crew, how much damage they take, how much damage the ship's going to take. There's a lot of little things that you need to try to manage throughout the game. So there's a lot of things like that. And I think initially that first campaign, it was overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And then we're two thirds of the way through the next campaign. And I asked her again, I was like, so how are you liking this one? She's like, I'm going to give it an eight or a nine. Wow. Wow. That's a jump. Yeah. Once we kind of got our bearings on how the game flows and how we can get better at it. So in the very beginning, we were, we were awful. Like we were just barely scraping by. And now it feels like we're actually accomplishing things, which I think makes a big difference. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a so far, like I said, I'm going to next episode, I really am going to try to see if I can't get Ashley on here again and have her share her thoughts with me on the gameplay and everything. But initially, yeah, this game, man, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in this game. But let's go ahead and get into uh, let's get into some reviews, some actual legitimate reviews, not necessarily more first impressions like what I just did. Let's talk about green team wins. All right, let me talk about Green Team Wins. So this is a fun little party game that we played uh, just this past week. It's designed by Nathan Thornton. Art is by Matt Paquette, and it's published by 25th Century Games. So there's uh, three different sets of cards, and you pick out five in each game, so you've got 15 cards. And the three cards are there's one that has... uh, kind of multiple choice, three answers, and then one of them has this or that, so you pick one or the other. Um, You could say, like, what's your favorite holiday? You know, Thanksgiving or Halloween, something like that. And then the other one is a fill-in-the-blank, so it might say school blank or blank box, and everyone just kind of picks a word and guesses. And the whole idea is to be on the green team, and the green team is whatever team is has the most people in it, and uh, all ties are friendly. Uh, so if you have six people and you have three and three, that would be everybody be on the green team. But, you know, if you've got three, two and one, then, of course, whoever has the who's ever in the group of three is now on the green team. Once you get on the green team by answering a question within the majority, then you get one point. And if you answer the next question within the majority, so you're again on the green team, if you stay on the green team, then you get two points. And that's the the entire game. All it is is questions and trying to think, OK, well, I like the other one that I had, I was like, well, I prefer Thanksgiving, but I feel like everybody at the table is going to pick Halloween. So I'm going to guess Halloween, you know, so there's a little bit of, of not just, you know, answering what you want, but answering what everybody else, you think what everybody else is going to guess, but everybody else at the table is also thinking kind of the same thing, depending on your team. Some people in our group was like, nope, I'm answering what I like, no matter what everybody else thinks. Okay. Well, that's helpful to know. So it was it was fun. I think this is a pretty simple game. It's got some cute artwork. I like the way it looks. Kind of got a cartoony drawing to it. Um, I like the questions. They're fun. Um, nothing provocative or um, that would offend people or anything like that. 
I think it's a game that really could belong like on the shelves of Target. I think it'd be a lot of fun with a group of people that you don't know very well because you don't have to know anybody. You just you could just answer what you, what you like or what you think is most popular. I think it'd be fun if they made this into an electronic version where you could play like maybe at a work event, you know, and everyone's uh, online. I think that'd be kind of fun. But other than that, I thought it felt kind of not as interesting as Fun Facts that we reviewed just a couple weeks ago. Because at least Fun Facts had the strategy of like, okay, I think, you know, Bob's going to think he can fit more M&Ms in his mouth than me. But, you know, you know, it has a little bit. I think Fun Facts has a little bit more strategy. This just kind of feels like it doesn't really have a lot of strategy to it. You can try to make it a little more strategic, but it's really just more of a fun activity. It kind of reminds me in some ways of in college when you would go the very first day of a new class, people would be like, you know, say something about you. If It feels like that kind of game that you can play on the first day of a college class to get to know all your classmates, that kind of deal. Oh, I thought you were going to say it'd be a fun drinking game, which I was like, yeah, it'd totally be a fun drinking game. If you're on the orange team, you, you drink or something like that. <laughs> I mean, there's that too. That's for sure. You know? They're not really personal questions. You know, it's more of like word association. You know, like, what are you going to come up with? There's some that are this or that. So that's like your preference, what you prefer. But but it's not like interesting things that you'd want. Oh, you like grapes better than strawberries? That's not really interesting. So I don't think of it so much as like a getting to know you better. It's just more of a, what do you think everybody else thinks? So how do you score points in this game? So when you answer correctly... Qu- qu- when you answer correctly, you... When you answer in the majority, so there's no correct answer, you get one point for getting into the green team. And then if you are you stay in the green team for the next question, you get two points. That's it. One or two points. Zero, one or two points. You know, hmm. if you're in the orange team, you flip your marker over, and now you're in the orange team. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's it. 15 questions, and, and that's the whole game. Is, is the stack of questions at least... A lot? Like, is there a big stack? Yeah, there's uh, three different types of cards of questions, the two, one, two, or three, basically. Um, and they each have a good stack, like a, maybe probably 50 cards each. So you get quite a variety there. Just based on hearing you describe this game, obviously, clearly I haven't played it, but it strikes me as the type of game that I would play once, maybe twice, and then I'd be done with it. Yeah, I think this game will be a big hit among certain crowds. I think it'll fit right in with the non-gamers. I just don't think there's much of a strategy or nothing that's terribly interesting about it. Um, I think it's better than a lot of the other games at Target, like the the meme games and yeah, the yeah, silly yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. I think it's better than those. Um, I'm going to give it a six, and I would recommend it for people looking for a very generic um, party-style game. Let me see, what does it go up to? Um, it goes up to 12. So that's really, really high and good. You know, that that would be fun to play with a large group of people. I think this would be a great game to play for a work event. In fact, I wonder, that's what I'm thinking. If you could make this some kind of electronic, like a, because my work we do, we're all over, we're all remote. And so we like to get together and like play. They like to do trivia. And I don't like trivia because I suck at it. And so I keep thinking Weird. of like other games I could recommend that aren't trivia. You're bad at trivia. I think huh. this would be really, really fun. I think like this would be the situation I think this game would be great at. It'd be interesting to play uh, some of those like Jack in the Box games. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The drawing one yes. always uh, 
I don't know, at least in my group, that always deteriorates real quickly. So, uh-huh. <laughs> like this, I mean, it goes up to 12, probably because there's only 12 mats in there, but you could really, you could just write out a piece of paper and keep a score on your own. You just keep your own score on your mat and then you write your answers down and reveal them. So, it really could go up to any number. You just have to go around and count. That's why an electronic version would be great. I wonder if they do this. That that would be really cool. Hmm. Um, but other than that, like I think this would be a fun generic game to play with people that don't like to play anything strategic or, you know, something like work where you just want something really kind of, I don't want to say bland, but better than trivia, but not co- more complex than trivia, right? Sure. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's green team wins. Um, if that's something that sounds fun to you, I think it's fun. Um, you know, it's just to me, it's just. Just that it's fine and fun and in the right setting, I think it'd be a great game. It's it seems more like an activity to pass the time than it does like a game you would sit down and play. Yeah, yeah. I mean to me, it, it it's better than trivia, but along that same line. Sure, better than trivia because you don't actually have to know the answer. You're just trying to guess what other people guess. Yeah, it sounds like there would be more deduction or that social interaction trying to guess what people are going to say more than it'll probably ever end up being mm-hmm. conceptually it sounds cooler than it probably plays mm-hmm. and, the, and the film the, the blank ones are cool because you know especially if you have a small group you might not get like we had some that we all had completely different answers and so now all of a sudden we're all in the orange team but like a large group you've got to have some that you have at least two. Like maybe you're the only two that guessed that one answer. Well, then you're the only two that are on the green team. And that that's fine. That's cool. You know, where those this or that, it's like half and half. You have a 50-50 chance of being on the green team. Sure. Yep. Makes sense. You know, so I, I think it, it was cool. I think it's a great concept. And I think this game will should belong in Target and should replace like what the meme and those style of games. Because it's better than, the, better than those. I don't know, man. Cards Against Humanity probably still holds true to all those people. Yeah, yeah. I didn't say they'd replace that one. <laughs> I remember playing that it's game not... and really liking it for a couple of plays and then it just became very like stale, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly yeah, it. Yeah. This this game, it's really gonna be about the people you play with. You could get the same cards over and over and if you're playing with different people, it'd be just as you never know the answers you're gonna get. Or you might like outthink each other. Okay, last time everybody chose Thanksgiving, so I'm gonna choose Thanksgiving, you know, and everyone chooses something different, you know, you don't know. Side tangent, I think the thing with the whole Cards Against Humanity thing is just the sheer idea that some of those things written on those cards were actually printed and people were like, let's make this into a game. I think it's mm-hmm. that's more of the the shock and awe factor when you first play it. You're like, really? Like, this is what's in here? Uh-huh. Because you're drinking and you read it out loud. You can't even read it out loud in your head. Or you can't even read it. Without laughing and, and you're dying, everyone's dying because it's so funny. And you, the first time you read it, it's like, what? You never hear anything that filthy. That that was fun. You play it like a third time. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it was yeah. funny because it was it was one of those very first like awful games. Not awful, but it, it was the first game to offer awful suggestions. Such yeah. Such filth. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Stuff you never said out loud. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you would read it and you would just like look around at people and if is anyone gonna get offended by this? You know? <laughs> All right, that's Green Team Wins. Check it out if you it seems interesting to you. It, it's still good. You know, I'd give it a six. So there you have it. All right. Next up, I want to talk about uh the game Endless Winter. This is a deck building worker placement game designed by Stan Kardolsky and art by the Miko. 
published by Fantasia Games. It is North America around 10,000 BC, and players are leaders of nomadic tribes guiding them through several generations to become prosperous societies. In Endless Winter, players will be playing through four rounds using a combination of worker placement and deck building to gather animals, expand their camps, build villages, gather new cards, and place megaliths. Each round is broken down into three phases. The first phase in a round is the action phase. Each player in turn order will have three turns. On a player's turn, they will do the following. They will play a culture card, which is technically optional. They will place one of their workers in one of the five action spots. They're going to discard all their played cards. And if it is your last turn, you can prepare for the eclipse phase. There are two kinds of cards in Endless Winter. There's first the culture cards, and these are only played before placing a worker. These usually give you some sort of benefit like extra resources, new tribe cards, things like that. The other card is a tribe card. These are used throughout the rest of the game. So after playing a culture card, players will place one of their three workers into one of the five action spaces. There are four action spaces on the central board, and each action has a top section, which can be performed as many times as you like, depending on if you have the available resources. The middle section gives you an action you can perform once, and then there's a bottom section, which is a benefit the player who went to that action first gets, but no one else will get that. The four actions are Initiate, which allows you to get additional tribe cards into your hand, Develop, which gives you more culture cards, and you can also get sacred stones, which are used for scoring, you can Migrate, which lets you place camps, move them, and build villages, and finally Hunt, which gives you access to animal cards. The last action you can do is actually on your player board, and it, that is called Rest, which gives you less benefit but will help you in the Eclipse phase. After players have finished their last action, they prepare for the Eclipse phase. This is where they're going to place cards from their hand face down to give them benefits and help determine player order. After everyone has finished their last turn, you'll move into the Eclipse phase. Each player will turn over their cards, and this will determine new player order based on how much labor they produce. Each tribe card produces labor, which is one of the three resources in the game. Then in turn order, players will receive benefits. First, you're going to get it from the turn order track. Then you'll get from any cards that you've played. Then you'll gain bonuses on the terrain, where you have the most influence. And finally, you will get benefits from your player board. Players will continue through all four rounds, do a final scoring, and the player with the most points wins. What makes this game great is how much tension it provides turn to turn. At first, with only the four actions that are available, you don't think there's going to be much tension. But there's mm -hmm. that is anything but the case. This game can be extremely tight. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like what I like about this game because, and I'm having a hard time articulating it because I absolutely like this game a lot. I love the look of it. I love the artwork, um, and it feels like it's 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 a it's a huge stretch to say it's a a deck builder because you only have those four turns. So yeah, you are building and adding cards to your deck and drawing them, but it it doesn't it feels less like a deck builder than even like Dune Imperium and last runes of Aronach, which is the best way to compare it because it's got that deck building worker placement aspect to it you know you're out there doing things that like kind of give you points it's low point scoring kind of like last runes of Arnak is you know where you kind of you're doing a bunch of things to try to get points um i don't know where i'm going with this but i i <laughs> there's a lot to unpack in this game there <laughs> it's is just there, it's just a lot yeah i i liked it a lot and i liked it kind of built up. I thought that was fun. I really like that it's you draw five cards at the start of your turn, but you 
if you don't use your cards, you don't have to discard them so you can save them for next turn, but you rarely ever do because you really want to spend them on the last. So you've got five cards and you've got three workers and then you've got the eclipse phase. So you want cards for all of those. So you're kind of, you know, using them, but there's also ways to draw new card or to gain new cards in your hand. It's just a lot of fun actions, I guess. The actions aren't extremely difficult, but they provide a lot of a lot of meaningful decisions throughout the game. Because one of the things you talked about, like in our very first play of it, you said, I don't know how to score points. And it feels mm-hmm. like the type of game where you're trying to set up a way to make points during eclipse phases in a variety of other ways. That's what you're trying to do is you're trying to set up some sort of engine to start churning points for you because you can get mm-hmm. those sacred stones and those sacred stones are specific objectives that if you have accomplished them, you can gain points. So you're trying, you're trying to set some stuff up in order to create those points. And as far as the deck building aspect of it, I think it feels like a deck builder, but it doesn't because of the way it goes about deck building. For example, when you acquire tribe cards, you can acquire them in two ways. One, uh, you can take them and put them directly into your hand. So at the start of the game, you have five cards, but then you can acquire cards into your hand. Whenever you acquire a culture card, it goes into your hand. The other way to do it is you do it in your discard phase or you put it in your discard pile. So eventually they're going to come up. And in the very beginning, you only have five cards, but it could end up being that start around two, you have 10 because you can unlock things on your player board that allow you to draw cards during your eclipse phase. And then at the end of the round, you're going to be drawing cards and an additional five cards. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have five cards, play them, discard them, and then scoop up another five. You know, you're keeping these cards in your hand to when do you want to play them? Because mm-hmm. the cards provide, the tribe cards specifically provide one of the three resources in the game. The two, three resources is food, tools, and labor. And a lot of times you need to labor and some sort of other resource in order to take action. So for example, if you want to place uh, one of your camps out, you're going to need labor and food. If you want to move it, you need labor and you know tools. It might be actually opposite, but either way, it's, you get the point. And the thing is, most of these mm-hmm. cards are going to have that. And then the tribe cards are going to give you extra labor if you go to the specific action they correspond with. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy with the cards that you play and when you play them. And and because you can really make good use of the card. So that kind of determines your action. Like, do you want to do this action? That's fine. Or do you want to do the action where you have like two of those workers in your hand? But so you can do a ton, you have a ton of labor, but also you're going to need more access anyways. And it's hard to get resources. It's, a, it's this really tight game where you have to be very strategic with what you do in the cards that you play. And I think it's going to reward um, more plays. I mean, we say that a lot. Yeah, we have been saying that a lot lately. And it's true, though. It's rem- It reminds me of Lost Ruins in a lot of ways because it, it creates that tension of, all right, I need to squeak out as much as I possibly can with as few mm-hmm. actions that I have available to me. So how am I going to play? Granted, the four actions you're going to do are pretty simple. You go to the spot, you do a couple things. You do get a leader. So you do get a specific leader that will give you some sort of benefit, which is nice. You know, it gives you a little player power. But you're just trying to figure out where am I going to play my cards? Am I going to play them with the actions? Do I save them for the eclipse scoring? Because the amount of labor you generate puts you in turn order. And turn order can actually be pretty important. Yep. You know, so you want to make sure you're you're keeping cards and then those cards will give you those benefits in 
the eclipse phase. And one of the things we didn't talk about is, or one of the things I didn't bring up in the overview is there's a whole separate idle track where it basically just equates to endgame scoring. One track does any leftover resources are going to give you a certain rate, and the other one is going to be how many cards you have buried. So one of the things you can do to thin out your deck is bury cards, but you can score points based on how many you've done throughout the game. So it encourages you to get rid of cards. Yeah, yeah. The the tracks are fun, and you really can't get up both of them, so you kind of have to decide which one you want to go up. And the the resource one gives you points where wherever you land, and then the the one where you get points for being buried, it's, you get more if you're first place, you know, and depending on how many cards you buried and what place you are, you get points. So you kind of have to decide, like, do I want to try to get first in that one or do I want to just make play it safe and get points off my resources? That's interesting. And then you've got the the monoliths is what it's, it's called, where you can get a bunch of different extra um special maybe resources or cards, or you can work on getting points. There's just a lot of different things you can do. And then all it kind of adds up together to get end up getting a lot of points. I like the there's a whole set collection with the animal cards, mm-hmm. so you can um, what harvest your animal for meat and 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 axes and additional things throughout the game, or you can hold on to them as set collection, and they're worth a whole ton of points at the end of the game. You know, so that that's fun. It's interesting how you score points in this game because the animals are twofold. You can. You can tilt them. This game says tilt. And basically you're harvesting them in some way. So each animal card will say, if you harvest this animal, you can get two tools and two meat, or you can get five meat. But then there is that set collection aspect. And you can get 10 points for the different sets, which is one of those strategies that you can go all in on. The last game we played, that's what somebody did, is they were just specifically on animals. And they were still competitive. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah. it, towards the end of final scoring, their score was much lower than everyone else's, but they had so many animal cards that they scored a ton of points off of them. That brought right up, right up there within the midst of the, the range there. Yeah. On top of that, there's, I'm, I'm going to call it area control, but it's more like area majority where you have a map of tiles, you're placing camps out, and then you're also placing villages. Camps go on individual mm-hmm. tiles. Villages will go on a cross section of three tiles. And they all provide influence. A village provides you two influence in each tile it's touching. Camp provides you with one. If you are the same amount of influence as another player, you gain that benefit that's on the tile. And the tile will give you meat. It'll give you tools. It'll give you victory points. It'll give you pushes on that idle track. You know, it, it can give you like cards. It can give you a bunch of different things. I, I really liked that part of the board. I don't like area control at all. But I did like it because... Um, you're limited, so you have very limited tents. Once you've got a triangle of tents out, you replace it with a hut. You only have three huts. Yep. So once you've built your huts, like you're kind of done with that. So it's really just getting out there, figuring out what you want, and you can collect those throughout you know, the um, eclipse phases of either points, resources, uh, various other things that you can do. And I liked that part of it because it didn't feel like area control because ties were friendly. Yes. So if you just tied and you were limited, like nobody was like, okay, you were tied. And then they come in and add one more. And you're like, okay, I guess I got to add one more. Like I hate that part of area majority. But this was kind of like, okay, I'm tied. I'm just going to leave it the way it is because at least I'm getting something. And so it ended up kind of being a very friendly, even though the board was small, it kind of felt friendly. And it didn't feel like people were taking away things from me that that's typically what i don't like about area majority 
there are cards that you can play during the eclipse phase that allow you to move your tents, which can put you into the majority on a specific tile over somebody else. But mm-hmm. sometimes what will happen is if you go later on in the round, this is where turn order is important. They will have already collected their benefit from that tile. So it doesn't matter if you move another tent into that tile because they've already collected it. If they're going first, they're already going to collect everything and nothing changes. And if they're in the majority, they're not going to add another tent in there and be like, or if they're already, if you tied for majority, they're not going to add another tent in there and waste it just to take away from you, which wouldn't take away. So they'd go somewhere else where they could then tie majority somewhere else. Get a benefit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I like that part of it quite a bit. And I didn't think I was going to like it. I I liked it for, I liked, uh, that's as much as I'm going to like an area majority type of mechanic it's more about placing your huts and your villages in such a way that you just get bonuses during the eclipse phase the megaliths do something similar because what ends up happening is you're going to be putting these pieces out and removing them from your player board is going to give you additional stuff during the eclipse phase and you're placing them on these little little tiles and you're getting benefits but one of the things you can do is you can build up so if there is Uh, a square created with four of those tiles you can take and basically put it at the center of those tiles and you're going to score points based on what's underneath two points for every tile that's your color one point for every neutral and one point for every other player's color so for example if there's let's say i'm playing green natasha's playing red and it's green green red and then a neutral one i would score two four five six two for each of my greens one for natasha's red and one for the the gray one but Natasha would also score a point because I placed one of my markers on top of hers. So you're going to be scoring points. So even when you do something like that, you're giving a player points. Usually you're acquiring more, but they're still getting something. And also, if you're not going for points in there, you're getting kind of a pretty big benefit that can help you. There's all kinds of kind of good things you can do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fun little part of the little mini game, I guess. When you initially set this game up, you put the central board down and then you create all these other boards because you have the idle track, you have the animal track, you have the terrain tiles and you have the megaliths spot. So you actually create a bunch of these other things that you're working on. It actually, this game is way more of a table hog than I thought it would be. Yeah, it's huge. It, <laughs> it covers so much space. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, somebody had, uh, um, I saw a neoprene mat that they, somebody had put everything on. Yep. And it was like made for it. It must have been part of the Kickstarter or something. And it didn't look that big. Like, I was like, how do they fit it all in that little space? But when we did it, it was like sprawled out. They're like, I'm like, move me on the track. Move, my, put my thing over there. It's, it's, it's yeah, it just takes up a lot of space. That's yeah, sure. I don't know how they did it, but they did. The other thing, component wise, is I have the standard retail edition mm-hmm. and it's really good. Yeah, I thought you had the Kickstarter edition. I did too, because uh, one of our local game stores will kickstart a lot, of, do a lot of the retail kickstarts and sell them in the store. Mm-hmm. When I got it, I was like, "Man, is this a Kickstarter? Is this one of the Kickstarter things?" No, it, this is 100% just standard edition. It has nice game trays for each of the player. You have a bunch of your pieces in there. They have recessed player boards. And it was $70. I was kind of surprised that it was only $70 for how nice it was. Agreed. And it, this the overall aesthetic I think helps. I mean, the Miko's art is so good anyway, but the whole yeah. white with blue on top of it, just that whole aesthetic really, I think, adds to the overall package of the gameplay. I love the look of this game. I love everything about it. I love the pieces. I love the components. I love 
the box art, but I just love Miko's art. I think he's my favorite artist. I just love the, I don't typically like like dark gritty art, but his, I, I, I don't know. He's like definitely my favorite, favorite of like this, like not pretty, like more gritty style artwork. I, I, I absolutely love it. It's so distinguishable. There's a handful of artists that you can just tell that it's their work. Like the Miko is a prime example. When you see that artwork, you know it's you know it's his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Him and Clown, Clown, yeah, some Clowns, <laughs> Clown and Franz, yeah. He oh keep friends. old boy keeps coming up every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Our friend at game night, he's like, "Oh, I love Clown and Franz," and I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, I love his artwork. Oh, man. It's the best." I'm like, "Well, it is very functional. I don't think there's anybody else that does better like board game." um art because he makes it so functional but anyways it was just it was just funny the look on your face and you're like what are you talking about clemens franz is the worst you know like clemens the miko ryan lockett uh vincent dutrait they just have very distinct artwork and you can just tell them for this game 100 percent has that aesthetic it looks good it has a very familiar feel especially if you've played any of the architects you know the the raiders of the north sea it just it it gives you the sense of familiarity even though the iconography doesn't fit in a lot, a lot with those games at all right yeah but it but it makes sense like the iconography is really clear in this game yeah i really there's a lot of things i really like about this game what would you rate it let's get into the ratings okay well i really like like i love the look of it i can't get over how much it looks how good it looks i love um the different actions you can do i think it's fun it's 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 quick enough to fi- figure it out. It doesn't feel like it's too too difficult, but it also I feel like the more I play it, the better I'm going to get at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to come in at eight, and I've debated between an eight and a nine. I think it's because I'm still not completely clear on how to get more points. Like I'm, cl- I think I'm clear on like that I need to do better, and there's certain things I can do better with, like the card play and whatnot. But I don't know how to do that quite yet, and so that's why it's going to be an eight for me for now but i could see myself like enjoying this game more and more if i got really good at it fair enough i'm going to give this game a nine i really love this game it's right up there with like lost runes of arnak for me um i don't know if people have compared this to lost runes but in a lot of ways it has a very similar feel in some ways about that tension you know there's only four action spots and i remember reading the rule book and saying there's only these things like that doesn't seem very interesting but mm-hmm. every time it comes to my turn, I'm like, I don't, I just don't know what I want to do. I've spent my entire time thinking about my turn, and I still don't mm-hmm. know what I, what specifically it is I want to do. Having that tension every single turn, especially if let's say you're going last and there's only one spot left, and you want to get that, you know, uh, bottom benefit, but you really don't want to do that action. Do you give that up to somebody? Maybe you do. Maybe mm-hmm. you don't. I don't know. It, it provides a lot of tension. I really like it. I think I'm finally figuring out how to score points. I remember the last game we played, I was like, I think I sent you a text. And I was like, I'm bad at this game. And then I ended up winning because I, yeah. you know, I finally, I was doing some things that I was really focusing on. And at the time I was like, this is just not scoring me points. But then I was able to turn it into point generation later on, which really helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of different things you can really explore with this game. I think it's, it's a lot more robust than, what it looks like so i'm definitely i'm coming in at a nine i really like it another reason why for me it's only an eight is at four players it's very long it is. i actually wouldn't recommend it at four at all 
Um, I liked it at two quite a bit. And I think three will probably be at sweet spot. Um, but that that's just another downside of the game is it is long at four because turns are long. You are thinking about what you're doing. You know, each time you do the eclipse, everyone does it one at a time. So that takes time. You know, there's only four rounds in the game, so it doesn't seem like it'd be that long. But each turn is really like, okay, what am I going to do? And then there's because you do so much on your turn, you know, each turn you do like three different things. Yes, it's definitely long. And that was something I was going to bring up. I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to bring up the same thing. It's at four players. It was it was it was lengthy and I had to teach it. And teaching this game, there's a lot of little moving pieces. The actions themselves are pretty simple, but there's so many other things you have to consider outside of that that you want to give people that opportunity to know that these are things you got to think about. So teaching yeah. it is not is not quick. It's not a fast teach yeah. by any means. You're you're gonna teach it, and then you're gonna walk everybody through their first couple turns. Hundred percent. And then you're gonna walk everybody through the eclipse phase. Hundred percent. Yep. Because that is, and that's just goes around turn order same thing you do your eclipse phase each turn takes a couple minutes basically the first time you play you go through each of the individual actions when somebody goes there and then you kind of give them an overview and then when somebody triggers something else like the idol thing you kind of talk about that and then the you know mega list you talk about that and there's a lot of pieces intertwined in it Mm -hmm. it's a lot and i typically get pretty overwhelmed by a lot i and i definitely got overwhelmed the first time we played it, but I still enjoyed it. I didn't feel like it was too, once I got it, I, I didn't feel like it was too overwhelming or I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, okay, it wasn't too much. I, I liked it. I thought it was a good, a, r- a really good balance there for me personally. I would certainly recommend this game if you like worker placement, if you like deck building, games with tight gameplay. The one thing I keep thinking about is our friend Chris is excels really well at, you know, Lost Runes of Arnak. Praga Kaput Regni, games that are, have extremely tight gameplay that you only get so many actions. If you mm-hmm. like those kinds of games, this is that kind of game. Yeah. You know, I we were playing it. I was like, Chris needs to play this game. He's going to be really good at it just because of he excels at those types of games. And this mm-hmm. is that type of game. A hundred percent. Yep. So if that if that's something that sounds interesting to you, I you definitely need to try this game out. I really think it's good. I think it's really good. I think it's right up there with like Lost Ruins and Dune uh, Imperium. So that is uh, Endless Winter. Paleo Americans. That's in the title. Endless Winter. Endless Winter colon Paleo Americans. Yeah. All right. I whatever. I really, really like this theme actually quite a bit. I, I don't know that we see this very often. I love the theme. I love the time period it takes place in. I, I love that about it as well. Yeah. There's not many games that do it. And side note, I picked up because I like the game so much, I picked up a couple expansions. One of them is mm-hmm. the is the Ancestors expansion. If you're going to buy this game, I think you need to pick up the Ancestors expansion. The only thing it adds is additional cards. So what you can do mm-hmm. is you can replace the set of tribe cards that are out with a new set of tribe cards. You can uh, replace some of the animals with different animals, or you can use a completely new animal deck. It adds some additional culture cards that can be slightly interactive. So it's the type of expansion that is perfect for this game. 100% perfect. It gives you just additional content. It doesn't necessarily change the the way you play. Like the animals now. It's more variety. Yeah, the animals, instead of, you know, uh, providing endgame scoring, they're going to do something during the eclipse based on how many that you have. So it kind of changes things the way you approach the game without adding additional rules, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You can... 
it will just add to the replayability of the game. But not the rolling right. I did. You didn't pick up the rolling. <laughs> I did not. I did not buy the rolling right. So there is an expansion. Is it like the separate standalone? Oh, game or no, an no, it's it's an expansion. It's an expansion content. I didn't. So I bought that. I bought rivers and rafts, which just changes the way the board of tiles is. It changes that somewhat. And then there's uh, cave paintings. Is the it's it. <sighs> You get dry erase markers. As soon as I saw you got dry erase markers and like a dry erase board to like write stuff on, I'm like, I'm out. I don't, I don't, I don't need this in this game. <laughs> I don't know. Wh- I am curious about it though. I hope somebody gets it. I, you know what's funny is when I when I picked up the expansions, I was talking to uh, the worker at the game store, and I, and they're like, "You're not gonna pick up cave paintings?" And I laughed. I was like, "Nah, I'm I'm good." I'm- it looks so good. It's the little bear, and you like fill it out. Oh man! I'll let you buy it. It looks cute. They're on the game. That's fine. You can just. There's only a couple pictures on there. It looks like as you collect, then you get more resources or you get more things to do. And but it's an expansion. It's not a whole separate. Game. Yeah. No, I think I'm good. I think I'm all right. I don't. Uh, mm, mm. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm all good on that one. It looks cool, Bob. Yeah, that's a no for me, dog. I'm out. Oh, it's got another tile, like a little volcano tile or something. Yeah, it just, it nope, it didn't wow. perk my interest in this game. I don't know why you would need it in this game, honestly, but. Yeah, I think you got enough. I think there's plenty of con- pl- There's plenty of content. Like I said, the Ancestors expansion basically doubles the amount of cards you have in the game, which is perfect. That's exactly what you would need for an expansion. I don't know. It's got an 8.2 rating. The cave paintings? Yeah, <laughs> how many, like out of three people, like... <laughs> No, oh, 96. Whatever. That's not in the board game geek world. That is not a lot. <laughs> I'm all set. It's all people that got on the Kickstarter, I'm sure. Well, probably. More than likely, if they went all in, they got that and they got a bunch of other random stuff. But yeah, no, I, I'm out. No, thanks. I'm good. <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap up the reviews that we're doing this week. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, more board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time fun. 2022 edition. See you after the break. Welcome back. It is time to continue on with the board game shenanigans, top 100 games of all time, 2022 edition, numbers 40 through 31. I'm really excited to talk about these because these are getting to be really, really good games. Some of my favorites. They should be all your favorites. I they mean, are it's, a top all my favorites. it's top one hundred. Like they should. But these all ones be are good. even better. I guess that's how it goes. <laughs> I mean, like, the other ones were all terrible until no, we no, finally no. got to no, this. No, they were good. These are better. It. I will say, when you start off at a hundred, you're like excited about them because you're like, man, yeah, I really like this game. But the more closer and closer you get to one, the more and more excited you get about the games because you're like, I love this game so much. Like mm-hmm. my number one game is a ten. My number uh-huh. 100 game could be a seven. You know, it just, yeah, I, yeah, I can see that. It's, it's exciting to continue on with the list, but um, real quick, we've done it the last, uh, every episode, we might as well talk about how we did the list. If you're the first time listening to this, Natasha and I both made a hundred, a top 160 something. She took the list, she compiled them. And what she did is she gave every game that was on there a score. If you got a one, you got the highest amount of points. Below 100, you got negative amount of points. You added them together, created a score, and then you ranked them based off that score. It is the most scientific, math-intensive list that has ever been created. It is tried and true. She used calculus. She, uh, you know, she did divergent equations. 
to come up with this list. Yep. She did Mm -hmm. all of that. And this is how we came up with our list. Mm -hmm. Um, Simple addition is what got us there. I will say that we did, we originally did like 120 each and then we added all of each other's games to the list. So that's what got it to 160. And so like if the game is 160 on my list, it's probably not my actual 160th favorite game. It's probably like 300, could be like 300, but you know, just because we wanted to include. So that's where the math gets a little, little, little funky, but other than that, it's perfect. It's a little wonky because I think I did my list and it was probably... Hundred and forty something when I originally did it. And then you're like, add these games. And I was like, okay. So then I added all those games and it got to the hundred and sixty is a hundred and sixty something. I don't remember the exact number or whatever, but there's a lot of asterisks next to how this list was created. I'm sure people are like pulling their hair out and saying, like, why did you do it this way? This is the better way to do it. Well, Maybe. Natasha doesn't do math. She does not I, know math. That, that's not true at all. I love math. And I and I ran through it a bunch of different ways, and it actually got very similar results. Maybe right. they moved around a little bit, but the idea is the idea behind this is that we are presenting games that we both really really enjoy, either collectively or even individually. Like some of them I haven't played, some of them Bob hasn't played, but adding them up, averaging them, giving you a, a, a hundred really good games. That was the point of the list. Agreed. Yes. That's that's just how we made it work. Who knows? Next year it might be we might choose a better system. I'm sure somebody's no, no, gonna there's do no it. better system. I already figured that out. This is perfect. We're gonna stick with it. We're just if gonna it, play more games, so we'll we're have gonna, more sample size. We're gonna we're gonna go by the if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah. All right, All right. let's let's start us off. Let's do it. This is uh, our number forty, right? We're starting with forty today. Uh, yep. All right. Is a roll and write, a big epic roll and write, actually Twilight Imperium. Inscription? Twilight Inscription. Twilight Inscription. Twilight Inscription. I have not played Twilight Imperium. The roll and write based off of Twilight Imperium is called Twilight Inscription. This one comes in at 42 for me. I really, really like it. It's a little higher for Bob at 68. Like he said, Welcome to is his favorite roll and write. This one's Mm -hmm. just a little bit higher than that. But I brought it down quite a bit because I love it so much. I was just thinking about it on Saturday. I'm like, I really want to play it again. The way you're coming, the way you're saying like up and down and like this is like higher on my list or lower is like the opposite of the way I think. I know. Because you're just like, yeah, it's like further down the list, which is good because one is like all the way down on the list. But to me, it's all the way out of top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm probably just, get going back and forth with them, switching them. Pro- up yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. You can improve on that. That's just uh, you know, you know, whatever constructive criticism. You know, do okay. with that information as you wish. I will do nothing. Fair enough. <laughs> but I'm not changing because that sounds just, like a lot of work. Listen, I am who I am. I'm the. I've just <laughs> you fine know what up I until mean. this point. <laughs> All right. Tw- anyways, back to Twilight Inscription. Yes, let's talk about a that. Really big, heavy roll and write with a lot going on. And a lot of different boards, and it's long. It's like at least an hour long, but I really enjoy it. I think it's a, I think it's a lot of fun. I didn't find it too heavy. I actually thought that um, Hadrian's Wall was definitely heavier, like kind of more difficult to learn and to play just because of all the little mini games in there. But Twilight Ins- Inscription was fairly straightforward. It's it got these beautiful blackboards with these um, colorful markers or the, the chalk markers. But yeah. I thought it was really really pretty the way it kind of played out. I liked the way you, at the beginning of the turn, you pick what board you want to work, and then the dice are rolled, and then you have to use those dice on that one of four board that you had chosen. I think it was a lot of fun. I liked it quite a bit. Hadrian's Wall makes you think more. 
because you're always trying to get that last little bit, squeeze the last little bit of juice out of, you know, the what you can in, in, in that game. This one does do some cool things. Not having played, you know, actual Twilight Imperium, it's hard for me to know like how much it relates. I know people were just like, oh, it's just like this faction or oh, it's just like that faction. So it seems thematic to the original game. But yeah, there's there's a lot of cool things with it, I think. It's got a lot of fun comboing. Yeah, you're right, though. It's not as heavy as Hadrian's Wall. It's not as thinky. You kind of just have to, like, okay, I rolled this dice, so this is the best I can do within this board. The strategy is about what boards you're going to play, you know, and a little bit like luck of the the draw, or the roll, I suppose. Yeah, you can get additional, you can unlock additional dice, but that you have to specify what board they're going to be used on, that kind of thing, which is, I think, is interesting. There's a, I think there's a lot to like about this particular game. Yeah. All right, that's our number 40, Twilight Inscription. Number 39, another favorite of mine. This comes in at number nine for me. Ooh. But it's so high because Bob, it's 123. Uh, hot oh, garbage so game. I'm offended by that. That's Kemet Blood and Sand, the new Kemet game. Bob, why in the world oh, is this not in your top 100? That's a good question. I think I like other games slightly better because this one's a race to points. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that naturally kicks it down a little bit. I like the card play. My favorite part about that is the tech tree. Yep. When I first played this game, I didn't like it at all. It was years ago, probably 10 years ago or so. And I really struggled with it. I thought I thought it was really, really hard. But then I went back to it when the new version came out and we've been playing it a ton. And I love it. It's not my favorite dudes on the map game. It's it's good and I'll play it. Like I have no qualms about playing it, but it's it's not it's just not my favorite. It, and again, part of it is, you know, you have to hold majorities and, you know, you can get kicked out of them. There's times where you're just going to get annihilated because you battle somebody and you have only a couple people left and then somebody's just going to walk in there and just destroy you. I it, love it's, That's it's, what I love about it is, yeah, you can be in, in power and have a lot of dudes out there, but you get in one battle and now all of a sudden you're weak, you know, and yeah. somebody can come in and steal your points and you got to retreat. Like it's just, it, it's an area majority game, which I don't like, but it kind of dissolves really quickly. So you, you can your goal kind of it's a race to get um some points there and you mostly get your points by attacking people. You don't get points if people attack you and even if you win. So you've got to get out there and like attack at least at least once or twice every single turn as much as you possibly can. And I don't know, I just I th- I find it really really fun. I like it a lot. Somebody once described this game to me as a knife fight in a phone booth. Mm-hmm. And that's how it feels because I think it's said that you can get to any space within two movement, I believe. And it's probably not two, but yeah, close. I think so because you can teleport with those you're, obelisks. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You so, can't get into somebody's uh, castle region. Well, you have to because you have you to can't. stop before you hit the wall or whatever. But it, regardless, I mean, it plays like that. If you want to win, you got to fight. There's no way around it. I, I do like the the card play. You pick one to discard. You keep one. It's a little harder to keep track of who, what cards are still left in people's piles. Uh, I know at one point we were playing the game. I was like, is that open information? And we had to like look that up to see if we could, because then it gives you an idea of what's still left in their hand, that kind of thing. And it, it's still good. I mean, it hit what? 120 for me. It just scooted itself just outside of my 100. So I still like it, but not my favorite dudes on a map game. Oh, so good. That's Kemet, Blood and Sand, my number nine, but our number 39. All right, our number 38, Beyond the Sun. This comes in at both of our top 100s. It's 58 for me and 49 for Bob. So it's right there. We both like it quite a bit. 
100% tech tree game. This is that it's that space game where it's all about the tech tree. The the map of the planets is there, but it's so small. It's all about getting those techs and advancing on the tech tree and you know, gaining points that way. And I I really like it. I think I've played it enough where it needs an expansion for additional tech cards. Mm-hmm. So there there are versions we have never played it. There's versions where you can draft or lay out the tech cards and you can be the first one to acquire them and stuff like that. And then that way you can make, you're in charge of how the tech tree kind of plays out. And I would like to play it that way. I think there'd be a little bit more strategy when it comes to that. But overall, this is this is tech tree the game. It's not, it's a space game, but it's all about that tech tree. Yeah, I like I like the tech tree. I like the little um, going out into the planets and trying to collect the planets. Uh, it takes a little bit to build up, and then somebody can kind of come in and scoop it out from under you. So you got to be really strategic about your plan. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I have not played it enough to for it to feel samey for me, um, but I played it enough to where I really enjoy it. The way you have to manage your population. So population is uh, is dice. So anytime you develop a tech, you move one of your dice out on there and they're based in these columns and then you have these discs underneath and those discs would determine how much you can generate turn to turn if you have dice in there. Well, if you have a bunch of dice on the space board and a bunch of things, you're not going to have enough dice to do anything. So you really have to manage that stuff. And the same thing with like coal, you have to, not coal, iron probably, but you have to manage those resources in such a way that I think is is interesting because when you colonize, you take the dice back, then you can fill in your board. So it gives you access to those dice in different areas, which I think is neat. So I think I think that portion of things is also really, really interesting. Yeah, it feels unique and, and, and fresh and different. Um, the board, the look of it is kind of bland. It looks like a prototype, which surprises me. But other than that, I mean, it's a Rio Grande game. It's going to look weird like that. Yeah, it, I like the um, the art of the board, like especially the planets and stuff. That looks really good. It's just the player boards, but it's functional, so that's fine. That is our number thirty-eight, Beyond the Sun. All right, number thirty-seven, another top ten of mine. This is Altiplano. This comes in at number seven for me. God, this is one of my favorite games. I just love it so much. It's a hundred and seventeen for you, Bob, and I'm just offended. I thought you Why loved you this f- game. Do you thought I loved this game? Yeah, I mean, you play it so many times. <laughs> well, it's because it's the game is good. I'm not like it's not my top 100 good. Like I'm never gonna own it, but because oh, I'll just play it. your copy. It's I like Orleans better. Yeah, I understand this game. I, th- I like what this game does if, as far as like moving around that spatial piece of moving around to collect your tokens into your bag, mm-hmm. and then you put them into your little. Um, little wagon or whatever so you have to draw through everything i think that is creative that you actually have to draw through all your chips you don't actually just repopulate the chips into your bag so you know that one chip that you you acquired you'll eventually get Mm -hmm. uh it has a nice timing element of moving the chips into your warehouse to score points i just i like orleans better yeah i i love this game I also like Orleans a little bit better, but barely. Like, I like both of them quite a bit. I love the strategy of, like, because you have to move around these things, you want to end your turn, and then also you want to do a turn in that same place you ended. So you want to make sure you know what's in your bag, um, and then you want to make sure you know what's in your bag so that you know that you can do that action again because you get very limited amount of movement. And then you kind of want to, there's so much planning in it. And I, I just love that. I, I love this game. 
It's so fun. That's Altiplano. Um, our number 37. All right, number 36, Dune Imperium. So this one comes in at 34 for Bob. It's quite high for him. For me, it comes in at 72. I enjoy it quite a bit, but not probably not as much as Bob, huh? Yeah, clearly not. Uh, yeah, Dune Imperium. Dune Imperium is good. It, I, I especially like, I like the IP. I know I, I've talked about playing the, or reading the Dune book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I definitely like the IP. There's some interesting choices as far as the deck building and and everything along those lines about going out and collecting, you know, your spice and your water and your solari in order to be able to, you know, accomplish all the things you want to do. Obviously, there's going to be some combat, which is interesting because you can play some like gotcha cards from this. Uh, I'm going to call it a fate deck, but it, that the name does escapes me because it's not the fate deck. I don't remember exactly the name of it, but you 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 end up acquiring these uh, entry cards. So you ended up acquiring those and you're able to, you know, maybe play them in combat in order to win. Uh, You're moving up some tracks whenever you do actions with the specific houses when you're, let's say, you know, if you're gaining water from the Fremen, you align with them a little bit. You're going up those tracks to accumulate points. Um, It's a race to 10, which automatically you would think I would not like. But for whatever reason, I think it has a lot to do with the theme. Just Mm -hmm. the theme in general, I think, does a really good job. I like the race to 10. I don't love the area control part of it. That's probably my least favorite part, but it kind of gets wiped clean every turn. So I like that. So you, and you're not going to go in on all of them. You're going to kind of pick and choose which one you want to go in on based on your hand and what the prize is, you know, for winning. I think that's interesting. I like the deck building part of it. I like deck building worker placement. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. Quite a bit. Um, Really good. Actually, that is our number 36 Dune Imperium. All right, number 35 is, we've been leading to this moment, this whole list hinting at it. It is Bob's number three game of all time. There it is. Here it is. Star Wars Rebellion. I have not played this game. Nor will you probably ever. ever play this game. Yes. Yep. Uh, So here it is. My number three game of all time that I've been teasing for the last 15 episodes. It is Star Wars episodes four, five, and six in a box. If you get the expansion, you can include Rogue One in that. That's what this game is. You're playing through that. You're either the Rebellion or the you're the Empire. If you're the, you're the Empire, your only mission is to find the Rebel base and destroy it. If you're the Rebel player, your only objective is to survive until these two tokens hit. And you can help that progress by completing you know different um, different cards. But for the most part, you're just you're just biding your time. You're very much like strategically just trying to accomplish different things to slow the empire's empire down when you're the empire you're trying your best to find it each faction feels so different when you're playing the empire you just you feel so incredibly powerful based on the amount of pieces you have but it's so frustrating that you cannot find that base and you're always constantly moving you're always determined do i move in order to like continue trying to find this base or do I save my people to do these like mission cards? What am I going to do? Like I need to continue moving. Otherwise it's not progressing the game for me. When you're the rebellion, you have so few pieces. You just feel so like outgunned that you're like, how am I ever going to survive? You know, so you have to strategically pick your battles. Like maybe the Imperial player has left just a little bit of stuff and over on this planet. Well, maybe you go take care of that planet. So like it, you know, stops producing for them. Or maybe you sabotage that planet. But then 
you know, maybe one of your people get captured and you got to make sure you're, you're, you know, helping them escape. It just, it's so thematic. It's so good. I love this game so much. Number three game of all time. So, so good. Natasha will never play it and that's fine because it's on her <laughs> list. <laughs> what, so which one, do, what side do you like to play the best? I like both. I think for us, the rebellions tend to win more. I've heard people's, I've heard mixed arguments about some people think the empire wins more. Other people think the rebellion wins more in the games I've played. The rebel, the rebellion tends to win more than the empire. Oh, that's cool. All right. That is our number 35 star Wars rebellion. Bob's number three game of all time. There it is. You got it. And we hit a momentous line here, an invisible line in the sand. Every game from here on out is in both of our top 100s. Oh, nice. Yep. So going forward, th- we both love these games a lot. So there'll be no more, like, I'll never play this game or I don't like it. No so more bashing good. of each other's, like, preferences of what we like in games. Done. Yep. Cool. Th- this is 34 on down, all games we both love. Perfect. All right. Our number 34 um, is a big nostalgic game for me. That's Stone Age. This is a, one of the first games I got into getting into board games, and I just I love it so much. It's dice rolling. You put your workers out. Um, depending on how many workers you put out, that means how many dice you can roll, and then you add up your dice, and that's basically how much you get of those resources, depending on how valuable they are. You divide them up by different numbers. You know, like gold, you have to divide by six, so gold is really harder to get than wood that you just divide by three. So this game, let's see, it is... My number 28, so pretty high up there for me. Bob's number 77. And then you also go out and collect these cards. So there's this uh, end game scoring where you can collect cards based on how many workers you've got, how far you've gone with the wheat track. It also has like the the best part about the game, of course, is the love hut where you go 100%. and make more people. I think that's the game that, that originated that um, action. <laughs> the love hut action for sure. <laughs> Yeah, this game is a is a classic worker placement game. There's not a ton of games we'd say you really need to go back and play. I no. think this one I think this one still stands the test of time. Yeah. I think it's still good. I think it still does things like, "Oh, I'm terrible at dice rolling. Well, you can get tools to help you, mm-hmm. you know, increase your odds of doing that, you know, you you have to feed your people, you have to, you know, make sure you're getting resources in order to build those huts. Don't don't skimp out on the cards. Get the cards. The cards are important for endgame scoring. That's where you're going to score a lot of your points. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's it's a classic for a reason. I, st- I still love getting it out and playing it. Yeah, me too. I just have a lot of fun rolling the dice. Uh, you can mitigate your dice by putting a lot of workers in that one spot and kind of yep. spending your time collecting resources instead of trying to get all the resources you need in one uh, turn you know which you then you're dependent upon luck but you don't need to be dependent upon that you can be more strategic it's it's really good i think it's a great family game i like the kids version there's a stone age for kids and it's kind of more memory but it also teaches those basic concepts so I, I really enjoy that game as well all right that is our number 34 stone age all right number 33 terraforming mars Ares expedition this is in the middle of both of our lists it comes in at 45 for me and 57 for you we loved this game when it first came out, and I thought, oh, yeah, I love it even more than Terraforming Mars. But I think I've gone kind of gone back to Terraforming Mars a little bit more, and this has kind of cooled a little bit since we've gotten it. I agree 100%. I like Terraforming Mars, the original game, better uh, because there's just so many other things going on in that game. 
This mm-hmm. Terraforming Mars Ares expedition takes the action selection mechanism from like Race for the Galaxy and implements it. And it's more about that card play. I do like it. But the more and more I think about it, I like the robust nature of the original Terraforming Mars game. There's a lot more going on in that game. And I think that's the reason why I like it. Yeah. I've heard people say this game takes as long to complete as the original Terraforming Mars. That hasn't been the case for me. No. I mean, I know at one point you and I had like 20 minutes to kill and we busted this out and we got it done in like 20 minutes. Yeah, and that's two-player. It takes longer because you're all working to complete those goals together. But I think we play... We play quickly, for one. We're fast. Yeah, we're and fast. And we also, yeah. this is the type of game that you can play, and once everybody knows how to play it, you just play, everyone takes a turn, play, everyone takes a turn. So there's there's very little downtime. So yeah. I think it can go really fast. If you're learning and you have to like kind of review everybody's turn, then that does take a bit. But I like, I like the card play of it. I like that it's small, easier to set up, quicker. I like it a lot, but it does not replace Terraforming Mars for me. Yeah, I agree 100%. Are you, do you have any interest in the Terraforming Mars, the dice game? Um, I would certainly try it, but I'm not something I'm going to seek out. It gotcha. just seems more luck-based with the rolling of the dice and stuff. And Well, it seems more roll and write-esque, so I was wondering if you would be interested in something like that. But I mean, I'm we'll certainly see. interested in trying it. I probably won't pick it up until I try it, at least. Fair enough. That's number 33, Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition. All right, number 32, Sky Mines. I like this one mm-hmm. quite a bit as well. It's 65 for me. This is 31 for Bob. I think he, he was been playing it longer you've been playing Mombasa I never played Mombasa I just started playing Sky Mines yeah so it was an interesting debate this past uh Wednesday when me and another guy were both talking about Mombasa versus Sky Mines mm-hmm. and he prefers Mombasa I prefer Sky Mines well okay he has not played Sky Mines but he's like I don't need to I like Mombasa better okay fair enough yeah so it I like Sky Mines I like the theme better unfortunately in Mombasa you are like harvesting you know blood diamonds from Africa so it's it's the theme isn't great but I I like the theme in Sky Mines a little bit better I like the the iconography is better in Mombasa Mm -hmm. than it is in Sky Mines but once you kind of wrap your head around things Sky Mines is a little bit easier and I think the subtle change of the the subtle changes they made were enough that I would prefer Sky Mines over Mombasa. 100%. Like when I made this list, I didn't even include Mombasa because this has replaced Mombasa for me. It was basically a reprint anyway. With a better theme. 100%. Yeah, I, I like this Gassim area majority, um, kind of. You're more like selecting stocks and and collecting, you know, so you want to put your little hats on there on the houses for the stocks that you have a lot in. You know, but you're also you can kind of go in on everything and let somebody else do all that work. I don't know. It's 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 interesting. It's got this uh, really tight mechanics to it. It's got really interesting, unique um, mechanics. The way the cards play out, they don't really like build up. It kind of it kind of shrinks down. You know, which is mm-hmm. which is unique and different. Uh, I like it. I find it very interesting, very strategic, um, very unique. I like it quite a bit. That is our. Number 32, Sky Mines. Okay, number 31, Lost Ruins of Arnak. And I remember you and I talking, comparing Dune Imperium and Lost Ruins of Arnak. And I think I liked at that time Dune Imperium better. And did you like Lost Ruins of Arnak better? Always, yes. I've always liked Lost Ruins a little bit better, yep. And so I was surprised that this one came up higher for me. Actually, I think I've switched the script here a little bit and like Lost Ruins better. And that's probably because of the expansion. So this one comes in. In just under 
do an Imperium for me at 71. And for Bob, it comes in at 24. So it's one of your top 20 games, 20, 25 games, I should say. I really love this game. And especially the expansion that came out with, with giving you player powers and yeah. enough player powers where it's not like four player powers. You know, it's like six. So there's a lot of variety that you can play, mm-hmm. I think. And I think that I because of that expansion giving you, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. You, all you needed in this game was another, you know, additional... Uh, tracks up the the scholar track or whatever some additional that some some extra cards and then you know those player powers it was perfect it's exactly what this game needed for an expansion it's all that it was really missing dune imperium's expansion i'm not that big of a fan of so i think with the expansion it just makes this game better i i've played this game enough times with chris and i lose consistently every time to him which mm-hmm. becomes frustrating. One of these days when I finally beat him, it's going to be so rewarding. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I definitely prefer this game over Dune Imperium. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to come around. I think I'm playing this one more with the expansion Dune Imperium. I'm not really interested in that expansion. This one, I'm like, yes, I really want to play the expansion for Lost Ruins of Arnak. I'm enjoying it more. Um, I'm kind of getting a little better at it. Still haven't won. We're working our way there though. Someday you'll get there. You keep hey. your chin up. You'll get there. <laughs> just don't play right. with Chris. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Jeremy's good at it too, though. It sucks. Yeah. Um, everybody's good at it but me. Anyways, that's our number 31, Lost Ruins of Arnak. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week where we're going to talk through our, what, 21 through 30. Uh, leave us a review and check us out on Instagram or Facebook. Uh, send us your questions to boardingshenanigans at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. See you next week.